0: School of Humans.
2: Growing up in Japan, Shinya Yamanaka broke bones all over his body. He cracked them practicing judo and snapped them playing rugby. So when he became a doctor in 1987, he chose orthopedic surgery to fix the broken bones of other athletes like himself who treated their bodies like crash test dummies. He was obviously no dummy, but Yamanaka wasn't a very good surgeon either and he saw a lot of patients that he couldn't help with a scalpel, like his own father, who had died of liver cirrhosis. Only research and new discoveries could lead to their cures. Yamanaka changed paths, moving from the operating table to the laboratory. 20 years later, after many failures, Yamanaka made one of the biggest discoveries in the history of science. When we first start to form, we are just a bunch of identical, immature cells. As we grow, those cells divide and multiply into different, specialized cells, like skin cells, nerve cells, muscle cells, and brain cells. In 2006, Yamanaka discovered that these mature cells could be reprogrammed to an immature state. And once the cells were in an immature state, they could then be grown into whatever types of cells were needed. He called these cells induced pluripotent stem cells, or iPS cells. Pluripotent basically means that they are cells that can become any other type of cell. By adding just four genes into the skin cells of mice, Yamanaka could reprogram them into immature cells that were just like embryonic stem cells, cells that resemble those from an embryo. As one article put it, it was like biological time travel. Want to turn a skin cell into a muscle cell to help regrow a lost limb? Want to replace a failing kidney? Now, scientists had a place to start. And that was only one of a million things that could be done for human health with Yamanaka's reprogrammed cells. On this episode of Long Shot, we'll talk to one scientist so inspired by Yamanaka's discovery that it changed the entire course of his life. He'd go on to start a little company called Moderna. We'll also talk about lipid nanoparticles, the protective shell of the mRNA vaccines. And last, we'll hear about the role that Jennifer Aniston's hair played in this whole story. From My Heart Radio and School of Humans, I'm Sean Raviv, and this is Long Shot. The world found out about Shinya Yamanaka's discovery on June 30th, 2006, when he gave a talk in Toronto at an annual meeting of the International Society for Stem Cell Research. The researchers in the room knew this was a huge announcement. If Yamanaka could create embryonic-like cells in a mouse, then he could also do it in a person. That could lead to nearly unlimited enhancements in human health.
3: I remember uh, being in the audience and just being blown away by his presentation.
2: That's Canadian scientist Derek Rossi.
3: The study is one that I return to. I've read it many times. I mean, it's it's really fantastic.
2: We're talking over Zoom. He's wearing red, rounded Andy Warhol-esque glasses and a black David Bowie t-shirt.
3: It's not the picture, but it's a picture from the cover of Ziggy Stardust. Derek is 55 years old, but looks a bit
2: younger, with slick back, fashionably graying dark hair. He's the CEO of Convelo Therapeutics, a company based in Cleveland. They do work on multiple sclerosis. His parents were first-generation Canadians. They immigrated from Malta right after World War II. His dad worked at auto body shops, and his mom ran a daycare center. It was not a science family. But he had a brother with an absolutely crazy love for wild animals. And the house was filled with them.
3: We literally had, you know, an endless parade of really exotic animals march through our house. You know, from a great horned owl, we had, you know, as a pet in the home, a raccoon, a squirrel, you name the snake species, we had it. We had a caiman. He brought home a caiman. He brought home an anteater. So, of course,
2: Derek wanted to be a veterinarian.
3: Until I took a molecular biology course, well, uh, grade 11 biology in, in high school. My teacher started to teach us about molecular biology. He had just come out of college, and it was the early days of molecular biology. And he started telling us about DNA replication and mRNA and protein synthesis.
2: Derek was hooked. He trained as a molecular biologist at the University of Toronto, then moved to Helsinki, Finland to get a Ph.D., He did a fellowship at Stanford on stem cell biology. And then, soon after he heard that lecture by Shinya Yamanaka, he moved to Harvard to teach.
3: Uh, So if you took a skin cell, which normally would live its whole life as a skin cell and wouldn't turn into anything else, now Yamanaka could turn it into something that, a cell type now that could become a heart cell or a brain cell or a liver cell.
2: So Yamanaka publishes this paper, and then the whole world is all of a sudden using this technology to make pluripotent stem cells to study disease and drug mechanisms and tissue engineering. It's an enormous leap in medicine.
3: It was that pervasive and that applicable to so many different aspects of, of the work that many different biologists were doing from you know studying cell identity to modeling disease in a dish to you know screening for uh, therapeutics to move the needle on a particular uh, disease. When
2: Derek started his own lab in 2007 at Harvard, he and his colleagues took up a project inspired almost entirely by Yamanaka's work. But there was one major drawback to Yamanaka's method. To get cells to regress to their embryonic-like state, you had to use a retrovirus. That's a virus that inserts its RNA into your cells, like coronavirus. To make the regress happen, Yamanaka added four genes into a cell. They came to be known as the four Yamanaka factors. But adding those genes means you risked creating cancerous cells. That would obviously not fly for human patients. As we mentioned last episode, the saying among scientists is that DNA makes RNA, makes proteins, makes life.
3: I call it the trifecta of life. DNA makes mRNA, makes protein, makes life.
2: What Yamanaka was doing was inserting strands of DNA into cells in order to change them. But in between inserting the DNA and the cells changing, there is a fundamental intermediary step. The cell has to interpret what the DNA is saying, and it does this by turning DNA into messenger RNA, or mRNA. So that messenger RNA is basically a readable copy of the DNA. It's the mRNA that instructs the cell to revert to its immature state. But remember, inserting DNA was too dangerous. So Derek's big change to Yamanaka's process was to just skip that step.
3: Postdoctoral fellow in my lab, Dr. Luigi Warren, had the idea, very simple idea, just saying, hey, you know, we we need to make these transcription factors. Let's just skip the whole DNA part. Let's just use mRNA. Bypass the DNA and get the mRNA into the cell.
2: I'm going to get a bit technical here, but I think it'll be worth it. Most DNA, which stores our genetic information, lives in the nucleus of cells. When DNA converts into messenger RNA, that also happens in the nucleus. But then it migrates to the cytoplasm. That's a thick fluid that fills the cell. It's where proteins are made. When Derek and his team wanted to send instructions to cells, they needed to get mRNA straight into the cytoplasm of the cells they were using in the lab.
3: The problem, though, arose when we introduced the mRNA into cells in the dish. What we were doing now was bringing it from outside the cell to the inside of the cell. Uh, And the challenge that we faced, though, was that the cells didn't like that at all.
2: When Derek tried to put mRNA, messenger ribonucleic acid, right into some cells, the cells thought they were being attacked.
3: To the cell, it looks like an invading virus, quite frankly, which caused the cell to respond by saying, ooh, looks like a virus is coming in, let's kill ourselves, you know, an altruistic suicide, a cell death, which is a good thing for the cell to do, you know, rather than let it be hijacked by a virus and have it make hundreds of thousands of viral protocols.
2: Again, Derek and his team weren't putting viruses into cells, just some snippets of RNA. But the cells thought it was a virus. So they needed a workaround, a better way to get RNA into cells. It turned out that a workaround already existed and had been sitting around waiting for someone to use it.
0: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at PurdueGlobal.edu. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? they're also playing chumba casino coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at thirty thousand feet so sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus that's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life
3: no purchase necessary btw we void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus
2: hey everyone it's ted from consumer cellular the guy in the orange sweater and this is your wake-up call was a floundering scientist obsessed with RNA. She'd been working with RNA since the 1980s, floating from lab to lab, unable to get one of her own. Instead, she had to work under other, seemingly more successful scientists.
0: Many times now, they describe my uh, life story. It sounds like, you know, uh, struggle and uh, very
2: difficult. Dr. Karika was on break with her new grandchild when we reached out. But here she is in an online Q&A.
0: let me say in advance, even if, if, you know, things didn't work out how I expected, I
1: was always happy,
2: happy in the lab. RNA was not exactly a hot topic during much of her early career. It was unstable and very difficult to work with, as Derek Rossi discovered. But Karika was obsessed with it and believed RNA could be used to instruct the body to make its own medicines. One day, after losing yet another lab position, she met Drew Wiseman, a researcher looking to make a vaccine for HIV at the University of Pennsylvania. Kariko told Wiseman that she could make anything with mRNA. They teamed up, but they ran into the same issues that Derek Rossi would later. When Kariko and Weissman injected mRNA into mice, their cells saw invaders, and their immune systems attacked it. But they knew that cells didn't treat all RNA as invaders. They had to figure out why. It turns out that a component of some types of RNA, a molecule called pseudouridine, can help evade an immune system reaction. In other words, if they added pseudouridine to the mRNA they were trying to get into mouse cells, the cells would stop thinking of it as an invader. Pseudouridine acted as a cloak.
0: And uh, so we published the paper in 2005, and uh, Drew said that now, no, we can prepare. People are inviting us everywhere. Awaited. I, I mean, we did a lot of experiments, not sitting and waiting. But you know, a couple of years passed, nobody cared.
2: But Derek Rossi cared. He read about Carrico and Weissman's cloaking method and integrated it into his own work.
3: And so when we read that study, we thought, well, maybe we could use these modified nucleosides to get mRNA into cells to get, you know, past these ancient sort of sensing mechanisms rather than killing the cells. Because quite frankly, prior to doing that, we killed a lot of cells in the dish.
2: As a way of seeing if their mRNA modifications worked in mice cells, Derek and Luigi Warren, his postdoc, would test it to create green fluorescent protein. Literally coming from jellyfish, green fluorescent protein is sort of a standard way of seeing if a protein-creating method works in a lab. If you shine some UV light on them, they'll glow green under the microscope, and you can see if your experiment works. Before they found Currico and Weissman's work on pseudouridine, they only got a little green. But once they modified the mRNA to include pseudouridine, things changed.
3: We could now get a lot of green cells in the dish and very happily surviving and not dying anymore.
2: That was the technological breakthrough that led to the development of modified RNA. In the lab, they called it mod RNA. So now Derek had a working method for putting the four Yamanaka factors into human skin cells and turning them into immature embryonic-like cells. Those cells could then theoretically be turned into whatever types of cells they wanted. For his work modifying RNA, Derek was named one of the 100 most influential people in the world by Time magazine in 2011. The potential to do great things was there. But first he wanted to turn his modified RNA methods into a business. So he got a meeting with one of the biggest serial entrepreneurs of our time. An article in Harvard Business Review calls Bob Langer the Edison of Medicine. He's taught at MIT for decades and is head of the eponymous Langer Lab, which churns out new biotechnologies like a revved-up vending machine.
4: You know, it's very interdisciplinary, and the kinds of problems we try to do is, it's, it's still, I would say, very basic science and engineering, but basically to try to make discoveries or create technologies that we feel can have a big impact on the world, uh, that, that's a little bit about the lab.
2: Bob has more than 1,400 pending or granted patents and is the most cited engineer in history. His lab has had a 1,000 or so students come through it over the years. And together with Bob, the lab has produced more than 40 companies worth many billions of dollars.
4: It's been wonderful. I mean, I think those companies can take some of the discoveries we make in academia and get them out to the world. And there's nothing, I think, more satisfying to the students who've worked on these projects than to see that happen, and me too.
2: In other words, Bob is a super producer or a super supporter of both technologies and businesses, mostly to do with medicines and tissue engineering. But he's also worked in a host of other fields. Like a couple years ago, he helped develop a technique for giving people invisible tattoos that contain their medical history. And then there's that time he started a company with Jennifer Aniston.
4: We actually even got into cosmetics once. We started a company with Jennifer Aniston, and that's so-called Living Proof. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, to, to help
2: people have uh, less frizzy
4: hair and better hair and stuff like that.
2: It started when one of Bob's former students came to see him one day and was like, let's do some stuff with hair.
4: So we took a more fundamental look about why what causes frizz and uh, basically came up with some materials that are much more hydrophobic you know, water-repellent than what anybody ever did before.
2: Their solution? Scanning for FDA-approved compounds that were hydrophobic and approved for human use.
4: And, and found ones that were, you know, super, super hydrophobic, almost like as hydrophobic as a Teflon frying pan. And we tried it, and it worked really well. We got patents for it, and it became very popular. It's actually used all over the world.
2: They also came up with a product to give hair more body, and then they just needed a famous backer.
4: Some of the business people in the company, I guess, talked to, to some of Jennifer Aniston's uh, agents, and she got very excited about it. She actually came to my office several times and uh, actually asked really good questions. In
2: 2010, Bob Langer started yet another company.
4: Derek Rossi, who was a
2: young uh, professor
4: uh, at Harvard, uh, and uh, came to see me because he'd made a discovery that he could put certain types of modified uh, messenger RNA in cells and uh, make them more like a a
3: stem cell. Here's Derek. I was showing the uh, science to a colleague, Tim Springer, who had experience in biotech. He put me in touch with Bob Langer. He said, oh, let's go get Bob's opinion on this. So he emailed Bob and then uh, Tim and I traveled over to Bob's office. Bob
2: and Derek met and Derek explained the science. And Bob's reaction was...
3: This is terrific. What can I do to help? I just thought, what, what can Bob do to help? And then I thought, well, why don't I ask him to co-found this company with me because, you know, he's a delivery expert.
2: When Derek calls Bob Langer a delivery expert, it doesn't mean he works for UPS. Since the mid-1970s, Bob has been a pioneer in several methods of drug delivery. Drug delivery means getting a medicine to its intended target in the body, whether it's a certain part of the brain or the liver or to attack cancerous cells in the skin. Drug delivery can also mean delivering the drug consistently over time. That's called controlled release drug delivery. Bob is sort of the founder of controlled delivery, a technology that allows the large molecules of a drug to disperse slowly into the body. Drug delivery can also mean protecting the actual substance of a drug so that it can get to its target in the body without degrading or falling completely apart. Bob has used most of these delivery methods in his work. And here's some of the super cool technologies he's helped develop. An implanted wafer that can deliver chemotherapy directly to a brain tumor. Contact lenses that can deliver drugs through the eyes controlled release systems that use magnetism to increase the release of drugs in your body. A huge part of Bob's work in drug delivery has been with LNPs, lipid nanoparticles. They're fatty spheres that carry drugs into the body and that work really well carrying DNA or RNA. Researchers, not just Bob, have been looking at LNPs for drug delivery for decades. They play an indispensable role in the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines, allowing the RNA to deliver its spike-building instructions into our cells. And to learn a bit more about them, I spoke with another expert on LNPs.
5: The much larger challenge was to identify carrier systems that could deliver biological molecules inside cells. And being able to do that efficiently has taken decades to accomplish. That's Dr. Thomas Madden.
2: Thomas is a biochemist, and he's worked in the biotechnology field for like 30 years. He's president and CEO of Acuitus Therapeutics in Vancouver. Acuitus provides the lipid nanoparticle technology used in the mRNA-based Pfizer vaccine. The vaccine itself was actually developed by a German company called BioNTech. Thomas was introduced to BioNTech by Catlin Carrico. I asked Thomas to break down what a lipid nanoparticle is.
5: The, the nano refers to the fact that the, the size range of these particles is in the nanometer range. So typically these particles are less than 100 nanometers. And so that's why we refer to it as, as lipid uh, nanoparticles.
2: A nanometer is a billionth of a meter. Lipids are organic compounds that are insoluble in water, but soluble in other solutions. A lot of natural oils, like olive oil and canola oil and waxes, like carnauba wax or beeswax, those
5: are all lipids. They're uh, tiny lipid spheres, you know, they're less than a thousandth of the width of a hair. And they have four different components that, that are all required in order for them to work effectively. So they have two lipids that are actually naturally occurring lipids. One is cholesterol, and another is called uh, a phosphatidylcholine. It's a lipid that's found in our membranes, our biological membranes, naturally. LNPs also have two proprietary lipids, basically
2: the secret formula lipids that each maker of lipid nanoparticles uses. Lipids that uh, allow it to have the functionality that it needs. Thomas couldn't talk specifics about this, but he did describe these ingredients of LNPs in broader
5: terms. The most important one of these is is called an ionizable lipid, and it's the lipid that really determines how effectively it looks like a protein, how effectively it's taken up into cells, and also how effectively it can allow the, the payload, the drug, to be released into the interior of the cell. The fourth component is called a, a peg lipid and it's really it coats the outside of the particle and it's intended primarily to stabilize the particle when it's formed and when the drug is loaded inside and during, you know, storage of the uh, of the vaccine or the therapeutic. So what he's saying is you need to protect the
2: mRNA from falling apart before it reaches the cell. That's one job of LNPs. The second job is getting the mRNA into our cells. The LNPs need to be recognized by human cells, or else the cells will just ignore them and not get any instructions from the mRNA encapsulated within them. The way they do this is to make the LNP spheres resemble something called lipoproteins, which cells recognize and use to get nutrients they need. So Acutis makes the surface of an LNP
5: look like the surface of a natural lipoprotein. And and when it has that surface characteristic, then there's a a particular protein in the blood um, called APOE, which will bind to it. And that APOE is then recognized by cells. There are receptors for it on the external surface of the cells. So it'll bind to the cells and basically tell the cells, you know, take me up. Uh, I've got a, uh, a, a, a parcel containing lipids for you that you need to, for, for metabolism. So we take advantage of that natural uptake uh, mechanism in order to, uh, you know, get these particles into a cell. In case all of that was a little too in the weeds,
2: Thomas Madden sums it up with a nice metaphor you
5: know a, a really uh, a good analogy for for what our technology does um, that's like a, a real world example is is if uh, if you wanted to uh, order a a really fragile glass ornament online um, and you wanted it delivered to your to your home, if you used the equivalent of our delivery technology then the ornament would be um, would be wrapped and packaged to protect it no matter how rough the, the journey was to, to your to your house. Um, the package uh, would would find your house, it would open the front door by itself and let itself in, and then it would unwrap itself um, so the ornament is waiting for you to come along and, and, and pick up in your hallway. Lipid
2: nanoparticles, the FedEx of vaccines.
6: Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.
2: When Derek Rossi went to Bob Langer's office to present his idea for a company that uses modified RNA to create new drugs, he knew that Bob was a pioneer in delivering drugs into the body. The Langer Lab had developed the first nanoparticles that could deliver nucleic acids, like RNA, and many of the principles and components behind the LNPs that are now used in the mRNA COVID vaccines. And so, in the summer of 2010, Bob and Derek, and another scientist they brought in named Kenneth Chen, got some funding from a venture capital firm then called Flagship Ventures. And together, they started a company. But it wasn't much of a company at first. There were no full-time employees. There was no office. And how many people worked at the company when it was first founded? Was it literally just the four of you or, or was there a whole staff at the first?
4: No, it was nobody. Other, I mean, and we weren't, none of us were full time. I mean, basically, we would meet in uh, flagships offices or my office and, you know, and just brainstorm. And, uh, you know, that was probably the first six months.
2: And back to Derek.
3: I kept my day job in academia, so I was always, you know, had my professorship at, at the med school.
2: Eventually, the company did have a name.
3: Moderna, it comes from the term that we used in the lab describing the technology. We called it modRNA. So mOD RNA. if you put an E in there, you get Moderna. That's where the name came from.
2: So in 2010, they founded a company called Moderna. Bob Langer has been on the Scientific Advisory Board and on the Board of Directors ever since. Derek Rossi was on the Scientific Advisory Board and on the Board of Directors until 2014. By then, Moderna had a new CEO and a president, and was moving towards bringing therapeutics to clinical trials with an entire staff of hundreds. Of course, Derek never predicted that Moderna, the company he founded and then left, would go on to be one of the first to create a vaccine against a global pandemic. Derek has started a few more companies since then. Even though he didn't play a direct role in Moderna's blockbuster product, he now spends a lot of his time talking about the power of the COVID vaccines.
3: I always believed in the technology, I always believed that there would be modified mRNA medicines. I drank the Kool-Aid a long time ago. I always believed that it was gonna be a new class of medicines and uh, they're upon us. So that's pretty satisfying. I spend most of my time these days or since the pandemic uh, started uh, talking about what mRNA is, introducing mRNA to the planet lately talking a lot about what vaccines are and, and trying to ta- tackle this issue of uh, vaccine hesitancy, because people are hesitant about vaccines because they don't know what the heck they are. So the whole idea with vaccination is to prime your immune system so that it's ready to spring into action should you get exposed to a pathogen. It's something your immune system does on a daily basis. It's doing it right now. It's, it's also one of the most tried and true medicines that we've ever had in the history of humanity. And the reason it's so darn good is because you're really just asking the immune system to do what it does on a regular basis. That is, bottom line, what a vaccination is.
2: Derek got vaccinated before we spoke back in April this year. Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine has been approved for use in more than 50 countries and has sold more than half a billion doses of its vaccine. I figured it must have been satisfying for Derek to have finally gotten his jabs.
3: I waited my turn uh, like everybody else, and when a vaccine was offered to me, I took the one that was offered to me, which was Pfizer.
2: For his discovery of induced pluripotent stem cells, Shinya Yamanaka was awarded the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine in 2012. During his Nobel lecture, he talked about the many roadblocks he had throughout his career, and the many mentors and colleagues who helped him get through them he also spoke about the many scientists whose accomplishments were necessary before he could have his own. That included discoveries in 1962 at the University of Oxford, in 1981 at the University of Cambridge and the University of California, San Francisco, in 1988 at the University of Wisconsin, and in 2001 at Kyoto University. Yamanaka knew that his earth-shattering discovery was built upon the backs of many others, like how Derek Rossi's was built upon Catlin Carrico's and Drew Weissman's and their work upon many others. And like how the COVID-19 vaccines are built upon centuries of work in and outside of laboratories across many borders, which is the whole point of this podcast. Next Monday, uh, December 10th,
6: I'm going to receive the Nobel Prize. On behalf of many researchers, scientists, who have contributed (laughs) to the generation of iPS cells and who have contributed to the very rapid progress of this technology. So I really hope that in the very near future, these technologies will help patients.
2: On the next episode of Longshot, we're going to talk to some coronavirus patients who have never recovered. They suffer vivid dreams, insomnia, and a host of other weird symptoms that are nothing like the respiratory illness we think of as COVID-19. They have long COVID, and they've had it since the beginning of the pandemic. Longshot is a production of School of Humans and iHeartRadio. Today's episode of Longshot was produced, written, and narrated by me, Sean Revive. My co producer is Gabby Watts. Special thanks to Noel Brown at iHeartRadio. Today's episode was fact checked by Savannah Hugely. Executive producers are Virginia Prescott, Brandon Barr, and L.C. Crowley. Longshot was scored by Jason Shannon. The score was mixed by Vic Stafford. Sound design and audio mix was by Harper Harris with Welders.
0: humans.
6: information.
1: elevated.